We'd like to welcome you back to part two of our current event and weekly Bible study for October 5th, 2014. Next report as we segue now more into the Ebola information of breaking type news. Uh, this is entitled Dr. Don's Ebola Protection Suit to Protest CDC. Two days after a man in Texas was diagnosed with Ebola, Missouri doctor Thursday morning showed up at Atlanta's Hartsfield-Jackson International Airport dressed up in protective gear to protect from what he called mismanagement of the crisis by the Federal Centers for Disease Control and Prevention. Dr. Gil Mobley checked in and cleared airport security wearing a mask, goggles, gloves, boots, and a hooded white jumpsuit emblazoned on the back with the words, The CDC is lying. My name is Dr. Gil Mobley. I'm an MD. I'm an emergency trauma physician and a microbiologist. I'm here this morning at the Atlanta airport to put out a public call for action. I believe the CDC is being dishonest with us about the propensity of importing Ebola cases to the United States. Once this disease consumes every third world country, as surely it will, because they lack the same basic infrastructure as Sierra Leone and Liberia, it will devour these countries. And at that point, we will be importing clusters of Ebola on a daily basis. That will overwhelm any advanced country's ability to contain the clusters of isolation and quarantine. That spells bad news. The CDC last week said the chance of importing Ebola was infinitesimal. And that was the same day the patient was misdiagnosed in Dallas. The CDC is derelict in their duty. Yesterday I came through International Customs in the Atlanta airport. The only question they asked arriving passengers is if they had tobacco or alcohol. That is dereliction of duty. The CDC is asleep at the wheel. Okay, so that was from the Atlanta Journal-Constitution. If you watch the video, it, it shows him in his, in his full gear. shows him going through, like, check-in and... TSA and all that stuff. It, it now, while I agree with what he said, he was later interviewed. Uh, I think Paul Joseph Watson interviewed him, and <clears throat> he was talking about this. And then he he was like, "We've." And then, then he said something to the effect of, "We've got to have these um, vaccinations in place for this." And then then I realized, you know what? I don't know. I, th- this guy might have been literally put there. Because this is not something they let MDs do. You know, MDs typically fall in line most of the time if they're practicing. can understand if they're retired. Here's a practicing MD that does this. And he's the one, you know, you'll agree with him on everything. But then on the one thing where he will totally fall on his face and um, give you just... Because he appears as a good guy doing this, a person that's uneducated would tend to agree with, oh, yeah, 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 well, he's a good guy, obviously, and we need to get these vaccines implemented. I mean, he's a good guy. He wouldn't steer us in the wrong direction. So I have a lot of mixed feelings about this MD because of that and um, uh, because he was adamant about the vaccines on this thing. And I, I just turned it off once I heard that. You know, and um, just, you know, kind of the typical stuff you deal with. Next video, next video audio slash audio clip. Dallas Ebola victim may, may have acquired his infection on his flight. And this is another angle about the, the Dallas Ebola victim. 
Welcome to the Potter Blog site, Tuesday, September 30th, 2014. Maximum alert. There's literally a greater than 50% probability that the Dallas Ebola victim acquired his infection, or her infection, on the airplane they were taking out of Liberia. It means that the person in Dallas is a secondary victim, that there's still a patient zero out there who is actively shedding Ebola on that flight and subsequent flights, whatever they took. Now, this information, the data, comes directly from the Center for Disease Control's very own simulation model. And we'll show you, the. Uh, here's a chart from that model. We'll show you in detail here what this chart shows. And basically, it shows that the mean time to infection is 5.5 days. What that means is half of the people who get Ebola develop symptoms before five and a half days. Now, what this is showing is like a... <clears throat> statistically, how many people start experiencing Ebola after exposure? Signs and symptoms. Remember, you're only... Uh, according to what they say, not to say I believe everything, but according to what they say, a person can only put another person in it at risk of getting Ebola unless they're, they're displaying symptoms of this. Now, that doesn't account for the fact if you have mutations occur in these types of things, that maybe that wouldn't be the case anymore. Maybe you could infect people while you're not displaying symptoms. There's a lot of variables there. But what it's showing is by the, the fifth day, half of all people that contract Ebola will have started displaying symptoms. Now, like I said, there is a 20 up to a 21-day incubation period. But if this information is accurate, there is very, 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 very infinitesimally few that would make it to 21 days. So in other words, it's just not like this linear, perfect, like, okay, you take 100 people, or no, let's say you take 21 people. And every day, you would have a linear, like, okay, one person out of the 21 would start dis displaying symptoms every single day in that 21-day period. It's not like that. You have the vast majority, well, the majority displaying them by the fifth day. So that only, I mean, you could literally start displaying it the, the day after you've been exposed. Uh, I think a lot of that depends on your own immune system status and how much of an exposure you received. You know, did you receive an infinitesimal exposure and you have a hardy immune system? Well, then you might not display your 21st day. Do you have a poorly functioning immune system, a poorly functioning nutritional status, and maybe you were really exposed to a high level of the virus? Well, you might start displaying the next day. I gotta believe that that's how this works, you know, so somewhat. And so it looks like by mm, literally about most everybody is gonna going to have, have displayed their symptoms by the thirteenth day, fourteenth day, thirteenth day. Very, 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 very few would make it past that without displaying symptoms. Now, like again, I think it's on the variables that I just described. So anyway, I wanted to clarify this graph because it kind of put things for me into a better perspective on the fact that I'm seeing here. Wow, I mean, yeah, you are getting the. 100% bulk of the people that are going to start displaying symptoms, I'd say just let's round it to the first 10 days. And um, 
a ton of them are going to occur before even day five. More than half. The other half of people who get Ebola develop symptoms after five and a half days. So that's the 50% dividing line. And here's what that graph looks like. You can see there's a very few that stretch further on out. But the uh, majority here, even the most likely point, is five and a half days. So what does that mean? It means, again, let's look at the chart here. We have this, uh, this calendar that was put out uh, by the, uh, the New York Times. Big hat tip to the New York Times for presenting the data like this. And what it shows is a person boarded the flight on Friday. And then within six days, this Wednesday, is when the symptom onset was. That means that they're within that 5.5 day period. Which just basically proves that there's greater than a 50% chance that the person in Dallas was infected on the flight. Now, this is potentially... Okay, but again, that is speculation. You know, there's been a lot of speculation about this Ebola stuff. Some of it's just wild, you know. There was a lot of speculation about, like, those other numbers that were on the cube on the Georgia Guidestone. Okay, well, this is totally, purely your theory, and I'm not even going to really give any airtime to that type of stuff, because we just don't know. When I try to stick with t- to things that are, you know, concrete or semi-concrete, and, and, and we, he's speculating here, is what I'm trying to say. The catastrophic, because there's a potential massive number of secondary victims who have no African travel history and are likely to not attract attention in any emergency room until after massive hemorrhaging has, has started. And I think the point he's trying to make is that if, if this man contracted Ebola on the plane, which to me seems very unlikely because he was literally coming from Liberia, okay? So I would think that there would have been a much higher chance he would have contracted it in Liberia than the plane. Maybe, you know, okay, if that's the case, there should be a ton of other people if he contracted on the plane, meaning there was somebody infected on that plane that gave it to him. Well, then we should start seeing a ton of other people that were on that plane also displaying symptoms. Now, maybe that news is being suppressed. I don't know, but I haven't seen that. So if he really had contracted this on the plane, there should be others that you would start seeing on that same plane flight. And I don't see that. That's why I think it's a higher likelihood he did contract it in Liberia, and he went through the incubation period while he was in in travel, in flight, and then he started displaying symptoms in Texas. To me, that seems the most reasonable thing. I could be wrong, but I'm just throwing that out there. There's no telling where this primary, this patient zero, uh, potentially came from, or has gone to. As far as we know, there are only two airlines that are still periodically flying out of Liberia. One is Royal Moroccan Airlines, and that could be very bad because patient zero might be heading off to uh, the Hajj. It could also be uh, a Belgian airline. The Hajj meaning that big Muslim thing they go to every year to worship their devil Allah God, and they go around the Kaaba, the big black whatever, and do their nice big pagan festival. And there's millions of people there, I believe, probably, hundreds of thousands. And so if one of them got it, potentially they could all infect each other. That's flying through. But uh, basically, anybody who's on that flight should be considered exposed. And anybody in between, if there was a layover in Atlanta, 
It's just, it's just an extremely bad situation here. Potentially a massive number of people who have secondary infections that need to be tracked down, who when they become ill will not attract attention because they don't fit the stereotype of a Western African Ebola victim. Be prepared. Okay, so that's the potterblog.org, P-O-T-R blog, I'm sorry, dot com, and, and .org, I think, too. <coughs> no, it's dot com, P-O-T-R blog.com. He's got a lot of good stuff. He's very, very medically minded, though, extremely. Not really in anything alternative, so bear in mind, if you view his videos, you're going to get a very medical, even though he knows medically what they're up to. He doesn't seem to really have the alternative, like, you know, where where it's been proven that Ebola decimates your vitamin C levels, decimates your selenium levels, these types of things. He's not really into that so much. So, um, alrighty, let's continue. Okay, so let's continue on here. Next report, <clears throat> ISIS plans on sending Muslims infected with Ebola into America to infect and kill Americans. A nice, lighthearted little title there. ISIS has threatened the United States and their allies with spreading the Ebola virus within those countries if they continue to wage war on the organization inside Syria and Iraq. So I guess that uh, the world in general is just supposed to lay down and let ISIS do whatever they want. They can just kill all the Christians and behead them and rape all the women. And we better not retaliate in any way, shape, or form. Now, I understand. I've been over the whole thing how how our government helped to create them. and that. I, I get that. But now they are their own monster, their own Islamic, jihadist, satanic, you know, monster, and so, we just help get it off the ground, our government, this is just Islam in its purest form, so, ISIS has threatened the United States and their allies with spreading Ebola virus within those countries if they continue to wage war, um, inside Syria and Iraq. ISIS explained that its members can synthesize and produce Ebola and Corona, another, uh, I believe, virus that we've talked about before as well. ISIS also said followers and soldiers of the Islamic State are mostly suicide bombers. And all of them are ready not only to carry Ebola, but to drink Ebola if they were asked to carry and spread it to the United States. This is not difficult, but we need a decision from the jihadist leaders. <laughs> these, these demon-possessed vessels of Satan, I swear, their they're, they're evil knows no, no bounds. Ebola could easily be transmitted through bodily fluids, including sweat, tears, saliva, blood, urine, etc., including objects that have come in contact with bodily fluids, such as bedsheets, clothing, and needles, and corpses. It is said this disease will go airborne, and there are many other mechanisms through which mutation might make it much more transmissible. The statement from ISIS also said that the process of spreading disease is not difficult. This is ISIS making these statements, okay? And, and the, the link to all this is here, if you want to click on it. Um, <clears throat> the process of spreading disease is not difficult. It is easily transported in a bottle in your bag and take them from Africa to America and open in an air conditioning duct or put it in public drinking water by elevator doors. The statement from ISIS also said, quote, the process of cultivating bacteria can be done by any student in the faculty of science or the department of biology. They do not need complex laboratories or even mass makeshift 
makeshift laboratories uh, can be made. I'm sorry, this is rather disjointed the way that they're they're, they're translating this uh, from Arabic, I believe. <clears throat> can be made in makeshift laboratories in a small apartment in which we can farm millions of germs and viruses. Yeah, it doesn't matter if it kills them too, you know, and a large percentage of the Muslim population. That doesn't matter. Those are those are acceptable losses according to Allah. So let's put the threat together to see if it's credible. <clears throat> we have several Muslim-dense countries within Africa, and radical Islam is spreading quickly through that region. It just so happens that many of these countries are out of control with Ebola, and meaning the Ebola pandemic is out of control there. Many unconfirmed terrorists have visas which allow them to travel freely from these countries into the U.S., and there is little restrictions in these countries in terms of inbound and outbound flights. Terrorists are willing to kill themselves in the name of jihad as well. It seems very credible that a terrorist could self-inflict themselves by finding individuals infected with Ebola, where whereby, thereby, weaponizing themselves. So long as they are not on the terrorist watch list, they can board a plane and make their way to the U.S. Meaning they've got people that are with ISIS, and they're joining up like crazy. Now, supposedly, what's, what, what's happened is, they've, um, uh, the more we've bombed, the more it's incited all of these people to um, join and so now they've got a lot of people that have joined that, that aren't on a terrorist watch list, that, that have no history of this, but just got on the bandwagon. So this makes sense, you know. They can board a plane, make their way to the U.S. From there they can wait until they get symptoms and start purposely infecting others in highly populated areas. I mean, okay, let's say that this would be simple. You have somebody like this. And they don't even board the plane in any of the infected countries, if they're smart. They board it in some other country that doesn't even have an outbreak. They, let's say they self-infect themselves literally before they go into the airport terminal. And knowing that there's a good likelihood they'll, you know, let's say they'll make it to the fifth day. They're hoping that. I'm talking if they didn't even want to try to self-infect themselves when they got to America, which would be even smarter. Like, let, let's say they hide something in their luggage. It wouldn't be that hard. It would only take a very, very small amount of this stuff. Um, and they get here and they self-infect themselves, which is even smarter. And then they just wait until the uh, symptoms start. And they, they make sure as soon as the symptoms start, let's say they're they're in a hotel and they know when the symptoms start, that's when they got to get going because they don't know how long they're going to be able to like ambulate around. They go into the densest population they can go into and just start breathing on everybody. And, and, and I, know, I know they say, well, it can only be bodily fluids, but again, that's been highly disputed. Anyway, there's ways there that they could get bodily fluids on other people without them maybe not even noticing it that much. You know, there's certain ways you could aerosolize stuff. And, and uh, I mean, I've went over these scenarios before and... Um, this would be something to, uh, considering the problem that ISIS presents, this is a big one here, this scenario. Okay, so this next uh, little video clip here, uh, this is on CNN, 
cleaning crew turned away at Ebola patient's resident. Now, this is after he had got to Dallas, This supposedly this first patient. That's highly debatable as well. And this is where he stayed, I believe with his girlfriend and her family, right after he got off the plane from Liberia via Brussels, I think, well, Liberia to Brussels to, I don't know, maybe Virginia to Dallas or from, you know. uh, Anyway, this is where he stayed, okay? So this is the report about that. It is the epicenter of Ebola in America, and for the first time, it looked like it. As Dallas Fire Rescue hazmat trucks and personnel showed up along with members of a private cleaning company. It is the apartment complex where Liberian National Thomas Duncan was staying when he became ill with Ebola. That was over a week ago. Since Wednesday, four people Duncan was living with have remained quarantined in a second-floor unit, under orders not to leave and under guard. Speaking exclusively to Anderson Cooper, Duncan's partner stunned many people when she said towels, sheets, even the mattress the infected man used were still in the apartment with them. You know, under the towel is in a plastic bag, but the rest of the stuff stayed the same on the bed. The bed sheets, everything is on the bed. Officials quickly said they were on that problem. This is the mayor of Dallas speaking to Aaron Burnett last night. I mean, hey, they're only like a week late. I mean, come on. They're just in there with all his affected bedding and sheets and everything that he touched. Nothing's been sterilized or went over. Ah, just stay in the apartment. Get a good dose. Get good at infected yourself. Then we'll see about doing something. Ah, we'll probably just let you go out into the population so you can infect everyone. I mean, isn't that kind of the way it looks? The way that they're botching this? And this is just one aspect of this. the way this has been botched. Within the hour, the... Um, the um a uh, company to remove those that waste is going to be there. But it was easier said than done. Some private contractors initially turned down the job. When one finally showed Thursday night, they were turned away because they didn't have the proper permission to transport the waste. That situation, I'm confident, will be... Wouldn't you, considering this is like the start of this, wouldn't the government want to get involved with this and go in there with their own crew to clean this place, you're going to hire, who are you going to hire, Stanley Steamer? I mean, you know, to go in there and <laughs> we'll give her a good shine up, sir, don't worry, we'll, I mean, I'm just saying, you're dealing with, these people that are dealing with this in, in Liberia, I mean, should be wearing like level three, level four protection suits, and you're just going to have like a, a, a regular cleaning company, go. I mean, I don't know, it just... It doesn't make sense, unless you're trying to spread it. It was one more fumble in the handling of America's first domestically diagnosed case of the deadly disease. And see, the thing is, yes, they're reporting on this, but this is the things they can always look back to blame it on. Oh, well, we just, we messed up. We're we're old butterfingers over here, and we really dropped the ball. Oh, forgive us. I mean, I'm sorry that there's all these people now probably being infected, but... You know, those are the breaks. Sorry, we, we messed up. Again with a mistake at a Dallas hospital that sent Duncan back into the public, even though a hospital nurse had been told he'd recently arrived from Liberia, an Ebola hot zone, and was clearly showing symptoms of the illness. Regretfully, that information was not fully communicated. And many Dallas... So they sent him back out after he, I guess, tried to go there? 
This is just unbelievable. Residents have wondered why officials have kept the four people who had been closest to Duncan quarantined in a crowded apartment complex rather than isolating them in a medical facility. Another potential misstep, communicating important information to the community. I mean, nothing could go wrong there. Just self-quarantine yourself for the next week or so and... You know, make sure you don't touch anything and, and don't touch any of his bedding or go in the, you know, you know every, everything will be fine. You know. It, <laughs> the heart of concern. Authorities have been informing the public in English and Spanish, while most in the apartment neighborhood speak neither, coming instead from Africa and Asia. They don't know English, they don't open the computers. If they don't know English, they don't... They, this is a resident that lives there. and He's saying if they don't know English, they're not even going to open the door. If you come to the door... Open the English channel like CNN, ABC, other news. So they didn't even know about it. They, they, the people that lived there didn't even know about it. And, and uh, most of them, this is all news to them, literally. So then now let's take this a little bit further. This is how Ebola spreads everywhere. You won't believe what these people are doing. That's the name of the video. I believe this is from that. Dabu Seven, uh, Devil. He's he's come out with some more videos recently. He's he's very uh, just put it this way. He's very antichrist in his way of thinking. He's right up there with good old Thomas Paine that I mentioned earlier. But he does have some good videos uh, regarding just purely news information. And this is the most succinct one I saw on this subject. I wanted to have a separate video on this one particular thing. And this is. Um, alert, unprotected crew caught cleaning the Ebola victim's vomit from the sidewalk. He had walked out of the apartment. I don't know if this is when he was going to the hospital, and he vomited all over the sidewalk. Okay, now this is, remember, bodily fluids are how you, how, are how you um, infect other people. Well, he goes out and vomits all over the, the uh, sidewalk uh, outside this apartment building, and I'll just let the video say the rest. You were looking at an absolutely shocking image here. This is the image of them cleaning this up. Okay, the vomit. Of what is two guys or crews cleaning up the sidewalk outside of the Ivy Apartments where this patient zero with Ebola threw up all over the place. This is very wrong. This is not how you handle it, and this is how it gets spread. These men took a pressure washer, as you see right here, and just blasted this stuff all over the place. So they fear that particles definitely went airborne, limited to this area, especially around these men that are doing it, unprotected. They're not. It does not appear as though they're wearing, they're, they're, they're just dressed in, like, shirt and pants and, Baseball caps. I don't see any, like, even baseline surgical mask over their face. Nothing to prevent them from inhaling it, getting in their eyes. I don't know if you've ever worked with a pressure washer before. I have. I, I've spent many, many an hour on a pressure washer. And that the water that comes out of there is extremely, coming out at an extremely fast pace. And it will... It aerosolizes everything pretty much it hits. And whatever you go over, it's going to get on you. And so these guys are doing this with this Ebola, infected Ebola patient's vomit. This is the height of insanity. 
just an absolutely disturbing image here. It, it just goes to show, once again, I put out the last video of how the ambulance was now quarantined for 48 hours after the Ebola, Ebola patient was in it, meaning everyone that was in that came in contact potentially with the Ebola disease. And now... There's another thing to consider. Here yet again, people just walking around. It shows this one lady off to the side just kind of watching them clean up the Ebola vomit. She's just kind of sitting there hanging out, watching, you know. It's these people blast Ebola puke. As sick as it sounds, as crazy as it sounds, it's the truth. And they are unprotected, period. So anyway, that's that particular video. Um, so, yeah, this has been just unreal. Next report, Ebola may spread in Dallas homeless community. And on that note about the um, ambulance, police in Dallas are searching for a homeless man who rode in an ambulance after Thomas uh, Eric Duke Duncan, the Ebola patient, currently in critical condition at Texas Health Presbyterian Hospital. So he is a homeless man that rode in there after him. And obviously that means he could have contracted Ebola. Uh, we are working to locate the individual and get him to a comfortable, compassionate place where we can monitor him and care for his every need for full incubation period. Do you believe the way they, they word this stuff? Normally they could care less about anybody that's homeless. They want to round him up and kill him. But they have this simpering NPR in intro here. Comfortable, compassionate place. We can monitor him. Care for his every need for the full incubation period of 21 days, evidently. This was said by Dallas County Judge Clay Jenkins. Although the ambulance was reportedly quarantined after Duncan was delivered to the hospital, um, which it appears that's a lie, and its crew told to stay home for 21 days, officials were unable to explain why the homeless man was in the ambulance and why he was released back into the community. <laughs> so he was released back. So poor hygiene and substance abuse are among the homeless among the homeless may exacerbate the spread of this disease if he's infected. So there's another vector for disease transmission. You got the guys pressure washing the sidewalk with no protective gear and, and knowing that that also is going to get into the water system, um, the Ebola vomit, and people there watching, you know, and then you have the, the family they quarantined, self-quarantined for they've been self-quarantined for all this time, in with all of the infected bedding and all the other infected stuff. I mean, I can see nothing going wrong with this scenario at all. I mean, this is this is just, you know, this is like a, uh, I, I don't know, I mean, this is top-notch. You know, they run a tight ship here. We're talking, they're covering all their bases. I mean, how could any of us possibly argue with that after seeing the way that this has been magnificently handled from top to bottom? Uh, this just happened today. This is breaking here. This particular video. I don't know if anything's going to come of this, but I figured I'd, sh I'd I'd throw it in there. Okay, I'm trying to get this running here. The city, Missouri, is being sealed off, and a source close to KCTV5 says it is because a person who lives there is sick with something that may be contagious. 
They're taking every precaution they can and treating the situation very seriously. Police at the apartment building telling us the patient is at Rock Hill Research Hospital for treatment right now. The officer tells us it is public knowledge that all or part of the medical facility is quarantined as well for now. This is all we know so far. We don't know what that patient is suffering from or if anyone else is sick. We have a crew there right now. And as soon as we know more, we'll pass it on to you immediately. So that passenger got sick on a plane from Brussels. Brussels is the hub where we just had talked about that Mr. Duncan came from, where they get over here from Brussels, Liberia to Brussels. That's evidently the um, uh, how that all works. Um, so anyway, this Kansas City apartment building has been sealed off. So I don't I don't know if that person what's going to become of that. Um, Let's see. Okay, I'm sorry. That the, What I just said about the uh, person coming from Brussels, the second one, that's on the next story that we're going to be actually um, looking at here. So in that one is CDC hazmat crew removes passenger from plane in Newark. Airport for Ebola-like symptoms. This is just breaking today. Centers for Disease Control and Prevention officials were called to Newark Liberty International Airport Saturday after a passenger believed to be from Liberia showed signs of possible Ebola symptoms. And again, Liberia to Brussels to here. Okay, um, The passenger was reportedly vomiting as the flight landed in New Jersey and was immediately taken to University Hospital in Newark for further evaluation, according to ABC News. A CDC hazmat crew, fully dressed in protective gear, removed the passenger and his daughter from United States Air uh, Flight 998 arriving in Brussels. The passenger, the remaining passengers were quarantined, but have since been allowed to leave after the passenger in question was reportedly to be determined non-contagious. Now, I listened to the actual report on this, and the actual report that CNN did after this came out contradicted this in many points, okay? They interviewed the guy sitting next to this dude. The guy sitting next to him. He was an American sitting next to this man coming back from Liberia told him what had happened. He evidently didn't vomit in front of him. I think he went to the bathroom to do that. Um, which would be much better, obviously, than potentially aerosolizing it in the whole cabin. Uh, but the pictures that were shown of cops coming on board, they weren't wearing CBC. They weren't wearing full protection gear. And when he was removed off the plane, they were told to stay on the plane, the man said, for somewhere between 10 to 15 minutes. Then they said, okay, it's fine. We're going to bring you off the plane. They literally brought, they said, they say, you're non-contagious. They could not have determined if this guy had Ebola in that quick of a time period. They took him to a hospital for further evaluation. They couldn't have known that in the 10 to 15 minutes that passed that these people hadn't been exposed. So they take them in, even though they say you're not contagious, we're going to say, well, we're really going to err on the side of safety, though. We're going to make you wait in the airport here for several hours. So they make these people who potentially have been exposed to Ebola wait in the airport, in the public airport, for hours. And they don't even know if this guy has Ebola, but they said he doesn't. They, they had made that diagnosis within, like, the matter of 10 or 15 minutes. And then they really cleared them, and they said, oh, okay, everything's fine. Now we're going to let you go, and we're going to release your luggage, too. This was after hours, though. So everywhere I look, I guess the point I'm trying to make is they're botching 
almost seemingly on purpose, hoping that this will get out, and then they can always turn back and say, well, we really blew it here. Huh. It may only not be spreading thanks to the Lord Jesus Christ's intervention in these matters. Because technically on paper, we should start seeing a ton of people starting getting infected. The way that this has been botched. And all of the avenues that this has tried to come in and, and probably avenues we have no idea about. So I, I think the, the point is, is praying against this spreading is the most effective tool because they're trying to get this thing going is what it really looks like to me. I mean, the incompetence doesn't even begin to... This is, this is premeditated, a lot of this stuff. Okay, so let's continue on here, onward and upward. Uh, the signs are all here. Ebola mutations with medical martial law due to the airborne Ebola crisis. With America, let me just take some out of here. With America now aware that former Ebola patient Rick Sakra has been readmitted to a Boston area hospital due to a respiratory illness, all across the internet, people are now warning that this new mutation will soon lead to medical martial law. Tom Lupshu has put out the video below in which he bluntly warns America will soon be put on lockdown as Ebola runs rampant across the country as cold weather arrives. Remember, cold weather is the ideal breeding ground for Ebola. Not hot, cold. Um, and... Um, a diagnosis confirmed by the U.S. Army in the second video below that Ebola, like the flu, needed cold weather to go airborne. So they're saying that's a prerequisite. Guess what? We're just getting into that. You know, first... Oh, I love it, personally. My daughter, not so much, but I do. That first sign of fall and that first crisp, cool weather. Oh, praise the Lord Jesus Christ. Ooh, I love it. Then the leaf change, oh, if you're up in, you know, when I was in Florida, we didn't have any of this. It was one big mono season. No leaf change, you know, even during the winter you could find yourself running the AC, you know. But here it's different, and I love it, but that's just me, I'm funny that way. So I'm going to go ahead and play this video here. Now, what this is, don't think this is real, He's playing this video at the start to say that, listen, we could, hear a, we could hear a message like this from our government very soon if things continue to spiral out of control with this Ebola crisis. As of 8 a.m. Eastern Standard Time, the President has declared the continental United States under martial law. A nationwide curfew of 7 p.m. tonight has been put into effect, and any citizen caught outdoors between 7 p.m. and 7 a.m. is subject to arrest and detention without counsel. All reserve military personnel and National Guard are ordered to report for immediate deployment. All law enforcement firefighting and emergency personnel will be federalized effective immediately. All communication facilities, including the use of landline and cellular telephone facilities, will be reserved for military and rescue operations. 
In order to halt the spread of this contagion, our nation's borders to Canada and Mexico have been sealed. No longer seek shelter in private residences, no matter how safely protected or well-stocked. Retain all ownership records of private property, but do not attempt to transport or defend said property. Rest assured, loot... So we can't, we can't defend our, our private property? ...will be prosecuted with deadly force, as will any attempts at vigilanteism or secessionist political activity. No questions. So you have no right to protect yourself or anyone else. You know, uh, just let the government do everything. You have no rights. Medical martial law. That's what we're getting ready to see in this country. The signs are all here. Okay? They said that, oh, uh, you know, not even a month ago, oh, Ebola... It's not even going to make it into the country. There's nothing to worry about. And now it's here. You're having families being quarantined in the United States under armed guard, even at their own homes. What's the difference? Now, the one I think he's in reference to is the, is the family of four that were under the self, but now it's an armed, I believe, quarantine type of thing, and they have to submit body fluids, bodily fluids, and they can't refuse that. Now, I get that because they're, you know, ground zero, patient zero, or whatever, but it's just the whole draconian move toward stripping you of your rights, where you don't have right, you know, your rights are being taken away, and and that incrementalism, and that whole mindset that they're trying to put put there. And you still got people out here that uh, are taking no measures to protect themselves at all. You know, we have been conditioned, you know, all of our lives. We've been conditioned, especially the last 10, 20 years, you know, with the with the swine flu and the avian flu and this flu and that flu. And, oh, that way it gets to a point where everybody's like, oh, you know, Ebola, yeah, swine flu, avian flu, this and that, schmata, whatever. And they don't care because they've been conditioned to always believe that nothing's going to happen. It's like the little boy who cried wolf. He kept crying wolf, crying wolf, and when the big bad wolf was finally there, nobody paid attention, or very few people did. But then when you are encountered with what, what's going to be the big one, now that's where the big problem comes in. Because, you know, here we are. No one is taking any measures. People are just out here pumping gas, grabbing the gas pump with their hands, who, who used that gas pump before you did? Who was pushing that uh, shopping cart around in the grocery store before you were? Who is the food service worker handling your food when you go out to a restaurant like we all do? You know, even if it's Taco Bell or McDonald's, it doesn't make any difference. Who's handling that food? Yeah. He brings up some very good points, and I am going to post my full updated uh, recommendations for protection. And I ever can't say ever, I never can say treat because of, you know, you, only the guys in the white lab coats with the magic prescription pads can treat anything. But my recommendations for um, this whole Ebola scenario, what I've tried to do is compile a lot of different things about Ebola and from other experts and in practical things you can do. And one of those things that I had mentioned before was that shield blend where you, you had ordered the, the shield blend essential oils and I give you the links on how to do it. 
and you combine it with Witch Hazel, they sell everything there at that website. And you make little two-ounce spray bottles, and you can take them with you and spray your hands, spray surfaces, things like this. It's just a really good practical thing to have regarding killing germs, killing things that would be on any type of surface. So um, I'll get into that a little bit later. So now you see what I'm saying. You need to start taking precautions because any day you're going to wake up to a presidential address saying stay home. Don't go out anywhere unless it's absolutely necessary. But another thing is, is people say, well, let's close the borders. It's already too late. It's already here. The thing you got to worry about now is if it's going to mutate. Is it going to what they call a gestation rate? Where it can be inside, and, and I believe that's correct. Correct me if I'm wrong, but you know where it stays in someone's system, like someone could have Ebola or airborne Ebola or some type of mutated form of it, and not show signs for a week. Now, how many people have they come in contact with? You know, all it's going to take. Again, what they're what they're saying though is that if you're not displaying signs and symptoms, you're not going to infect anyone else. How true that is, I don't know. And again, if it does mutate, maybe that won't apply anymore. So I just wanted to kind of clarify that a little bit. Is a host. In just my opinion, I believe that it's weaponized. And I believe that when it hits a certain host, which here we are coming up on flu season, it's going to create a pandemic that is going to just, it's going to run waves through our society right here in the United States, and it's going to circle the globe. Forget about bugging out. Forget about doing this. I'm at risk just as much as anyone else. Because when when is the time where you decide, okay... I don't know why I would say forget about bugging out, though. Because the more isolated you were in relation to the general population, the better that would be for you, obviously. Population density is going to equal the multiplication of increasing chances that you're going to contract it. I'm staying home. I'm not going anywhere. I'm not going to work. I'm not going here. I'm not going there. You know, that's the point. That's the time. That's going to be the critical point is when you decide it's time to shelter in place. Because if you wait on them to say shelter in place, you're hurting. And we're already hurting. You know, all the bigwigs, everybody that's over the years have moved out to the Ozarks and this and that down in, uh, yeah. You know, they all know something's coming. People that are in the know, they already knew that this was going down. So I just think that this flu season, and then um, Health and Human Services came out today talking about a flu pandemic this year that could kill 60 million people. Well, what if that mutates with a strain of Ebola? Now you got this strain of Ebola mixed with some type of flu strain that is airborne and all over the place. Yeah. So you better start asking yourself, what is your plan? How long are you going to sit around and wait? What measures are you taking out here in the public? Because guess what? We all go out in the public. Again, who pumped the gas before you did? Who handled that shopping cart at the grocery store before you did, before you put your child in the grocery cart? better be thinking about that. But they're going to use medical martial law to take over the United States. What I've, it's what I've been saying since 06, you know, that that was the most likely, logical way if you were going to try 
to strip the rights from American citizens to create a environment for martial law where the government could come out smelling like a rose and not even have to necessarily fire a bullet. You create a, you create a situation like this where people will basically sell their souls to get the quote cure or to save their family. And if they think that that's going to come in the, in the form of a vaccine needle or some drug or whatever, you know, they're going to do whatever it takes, most of them, in order to, um, to obtain that. And that means give up your rights, give you know, whatever it takes. So, to me, it's always seemed the most logical way. If you were Satan, wouldn't this be the way you would want to kind of do it, where you could just, you would have the least amount of resistance to implementing this draconian plan that would eventually usher us into the New World Order, into the One World Government under Antichrist, I think this would be a major step. America is one of the last chess pieces that really needs to fall in order for that to happen. President Obama was the first African-American president. Okay. But he will be the last American president if this goes down the way I think it's going to go down. And you can bank on it. Meaning that if martial law is declared, he stays in forever. As long as martial law is in effect, he's in there. There is no, all elections are suspended. And once the, you know, all of this stuff, all of it, everything, the FEMA coffins, the, you know, the, the plastic coffin liners that everybody, oh, those are coffin liners, uh-huh. All the uh, detention camps, all these, all these places, all these, all this military equipment they've moved around for the last five or ten years in this country. It's all in place. They're going to start culling this population. You better start taking measures. And when I say taking measures, what I mean by that is stop getting in close proximity to everybody you see out here in the public. Stop touching things without gloves on. Take some precautions. Take the measures. And and most of all, please... Even if you're not prepared and never have, at least go out and make sure that you have at least 90 days worth of supplies. You need to be able to shelter in place for 90 days where you don't have to go out for anything, period. And that's hard to do. I'm ready. I know a lot of people on this channel's ready. We stay at the ready. So we're ready for this. But what point do we stay home is what I'm asking. So, but for you that's not prepared, get out there. You need to be able to shelter in place for at least 90 days without any contact with anyone because that's how long it will take for a pandemic to burn itself out. Stay at the ready. Please, get some supplies. So that was uh, his take on it. Tom Lipshoe. And um, so I like to present a variety of different angles because somebody will say something or present a point of view I haven't presented. And um, he brought up some really good points to think about. There's, there's no doubt about it. And um, again, I'm trying to equip my listeners as, as I always have with the, with the um, both spiritual and, and other things that you can do from a physical perspective to prepare um, that's what this ministry's really all been about since its inception. 
preparing body, soul, and spirit for for whatever may be on the, on the horizon. And um, so let's uh, let's go to the next report here. Okay, so our next report is. Uh, disaster teams were notified months ago they would be activated in October. A public tweet from a large government supplier of emergency response products specializing in high-risk events says that the disaster assistant response teams, assistance response teams were told to prepare to be activated in the month of October. The shocking revelation made on Golden State Fire EMS Twitter page, there's a link to it if you want to see that, suggests that not only did someone know that Ebola, the, the Ebola virus would be reaching America, but they knew that, uh, they knew that, that, that I'm sorry, this, they wrote this very disjointed, but that they knew exactly when it would happen, meaning the, the month of October. This is the actual, one of the actual tweets. It says, what we are now hearing is just the tip of the iceberg as we enter October. Noted the company's Twitter spokesperson. Ebola virus will cripple EMS and hospitals. When the future money trends, a follower of the page asked what they meant by this statement. Golden State Fire EMS responded with a shocking revelation. They said, DART teams were notified months ago they would be activated in October. The DART is Disaster Assistant Response Teams. Now remember, this is this is a Twitter page from a fire, a Golden State Fire EMS, okay, like a emergency medical system, fire, in that. Dart teams were notified months ago they would be activated in October. Timing seems weird, and then they said another one was be prepared to self quarantine yourselves if you experience flu like symptoms. Do not venture out as EMS and hospitals will be overwhelmed. They're telling you right up front. The hospitals are going to be totally overwhelmed. I, I've been saying this for years. The, the MDs have even said this for years. They're quickly going to be overwhelmed. For one, we're not, most people that work in hospitals, most medical doctors, aren't trained in like level four biological containment of agents like Ebola, which is like worst case scenario stuff here. Okay? I mean, most of the time they're not working at that level. So you're going to have very, very, very few qualified physicians and nurses that are even going to really know 100% what to do, how to handle it, what type of gear they need to be wearing, what type of precautions that need to be taken. You're not going to just learn this in in a a weekend seminar. (coughs) I mean, a weekend seminar is great, but it's... A far cry from working with this stuff day in, day out. And then all of a sudden, all at once, you're totally overwhelmed. And so, the hospital is about the last place you'd want to be, because they're going to be the main vector for transmission, most likely. Because all the sick people are going to be going there all at once, and, oh, I can't imagine a worst-case scenario as far as spreading it. The full Twitter exchange is available here. There's a link to that, and the screenshot has been archived. So that they're not just saying this happened and it's some rumor. With the Ebola virus now having been confirmed on U.S. soil, speculation as to how it got here and how many others may have been contracted, it is mounting. Uh, the traditional thinking here is that the virus made its way to the United States simply by one infected individual, coming into contact with another, and so on. But a growing chorus of 
of contrarian researchers suggest another possibility. The Ebola virus may have been weaponized by a government or a rogue terror cell, and it has been deployed as a bioweapon. Okay, so let's go to the next report here, and this is entitled, Government Issues Guidelines to Funeral Homes on How to Handle Ebola Patients. In a CBS 46 exclusive, we want to know why the U.S. government is issuing guidelines to local funeral homes on how to handle the remains of Ebola patients. So here's the question. Does the U.S. expect Ebola to turn into a serious health threat here? CBS 46 is Jocelyn Pinnell. She joins us now live from Decatur. So, Jocelyn, what did you find out? Well, Scott and Tracy, there are some 700 funeral homes across Georgia like this one right here. And the CDC has issued all of them guidelines like this one, advising how to handle the remains of Ebola patients. And we wanted to find out why. Ebola first hit Georgia's soil this summer with the arrival of two sick American missionaries from West Africa. Both made full recoveries, but new guidelines from the Centers for Disease Control to U.S. funeral homes leave some questioning what's next. The best we can do as a society is to do our best to prepare for it. That's what we've done. Elisa English heads up the Georgia Funeral Directors Association. More communication. She's talking about this information from the CDC distributed to the state's 2,000 funeral directors. It says Ebola can be transmitted in post-mortem care. The recommendations to funeral workers are chilling. They include wearing personal protective equipment such as surgical scrub suits and avoiding autopsies and embalming. How am I going to know you're okay? We wanted to know, should people in Georgia be alarmed? Absolutely not. In fact, if they weren't hearing about it, they should be a whole lot more concerned. English says George. <laughs> okay. Uh, yeah, whatever. So, absolutely not. Even though they've issued this to every funeral home, and probably this is true across America, on how to handle the remains of Ebola patients. Uh, I think that if the CDC wasn't planning on this happening, or an eventual likelihood, they wouldn't have actually issued something like this. Georgia has one of the country's most thorough public health plans. That includes detailed planning for all hazards. We have a plan for any kind of hazards, not just Ebola, um, pandemic flu tornado, flood. And she says the fact that every contingency is planned for should help Georgians feel safe. The fact that they are on the job and preparing for any contingency should actually make people feel very good about what's going on. And Georgia started working on its hazard public health plan about five years ago, and it continually updates it as news threats arise. We're live indicator Jocelyn Connell, CBS 46 News. Okay, so there we have that, that particular perspective. You're getting a lot of different perspectives about this um, in, in this particular study that we're doing here. Just so you have kind of the full picture. Let's go to the next one now. African Africans kill aid workers for spreading Ebola. The same facility that was attacked in the audio you're about to hear happens to be owned and controlled by George Soros and Bill and Melinda Gates Foundation. Now that's what they're saying. I wasn't able to verify that. But they're saying that this is... And knowing that Bill Gates, Bill and Melinda Gates and Soros has put billions and billions and billions in the vaccine programs alone over in Africa. I would have no problem believing this at all. It's not a stretch whatsoever. But they they're saying that this is the same facility that both the Soros and Bill and Melinda Gates Foundation owns that was attacked. 
A startling prediction today from the Centers for Disease Control. The agency says that there could be 1.4 million people with Ebola by the end of January. Greta Cruz is following these developments for us live from the newsroom tonight. 1.4 million by the end of January. That's what the CDC is saying. And you know they always, always, always lowball their figures. That's right, Leanna. And that's just uh, 1.4 million. Let me rephrase that. That Cascot or tongue. 1.4 million is just for two countries, Liberia and Sierra Leone, which just finished an unprecedented three-day national lockdown to try to get a handle on this deadly disease. During the dramatic three-day nationwide lockdown in Sierra Leone, health teams that went door-to-door found 130 new confirmed cases of Ebola. But even as the U.S. and other countries promise to bring doctors and build clinics, hospitals are still overwhelmed. Patients turned away. To combat Ebola... West Africa is also launching major public awareness campaigns. To get the word out, we've got people going door-to-door all over the country, talking about disease, talking about uh, how they can keep themselves safe. We've got uh, songs going on all the radio stations in all 60 languages. But cultural mistrust is proving to be as deadly as Ebola itself. In Guinea, eight members of a public awareness team, including journalists and health officials, were found murdered by villagers who believed the soap they were given was poison. They just said this um, delegation has come here to kill us, to bring out the virus, to, to lie about what happened in other places of uh, forest region, and we have to kill them. So in other words, a lot of these Africans that in these areas where Ebola has exploded, they're saying that the actual treatment teams are the ones that have actually spread it. In this case, they're saying the soap that they were given was the vector for which this happened. Now remember, it, Africa has always been ground zero. It has been the beta testing center for all of these other things that they want to implement, you know, uh, to try to kill us off. And I wouldn't have any problem at all believing that. And who am I to question them? What type of information do they have that I don't even know? Why was it the soap that they were saying? Did they, you know, there must have been something with that soap. I, I don't think you would kill somebody over that unless you had some type of reason to do that. So this is becoming a problem as well over there. They're attacked by the very people they were trying to help. Today, Guinea is mourning a new kind of Ebola victim. A group of doctors, journalists, and... Now remember, I'm not even saying the doctors are, are, are evil so much as it's Bill and Melinda Gates and George Soros throwing their money into this, knowing their absolute total commitment to depopulation and to vaccinations. It would be like, well, oh, Satan would never do such an evil thing, would he? How could how could we accuse Satan of those things? I mean, basically, when you're talking about Bill and Melinda Gates and, and George Soros, you're talking about Satan. Officials were killed, it is presumed, by villagers who rightly thought they were responsible for spreading the disease. Sorry about the music in the background. That's me and my mini orchestra back there doing that. And unfortunately, we embedded in the video accidentally. As I speak now, seven bodies of those nine missing volunteers have been found. The government strongly condemns the murders of these Guinean citizens. 
The authorities were in for a pre-absorption investigation after some of the bodies were found dumped in a pit latrine. The corpses showed injuries from clubs and machetes. What happened here? The healthcare team was in a remote village in Guinea trying to educate residents on the dangers of Ebola. Witnesses say they were greeted by the chief with open arms, but then some villagers began accusing the aid workers of lying about the Ebola virus, even accusing them of trying to bring the virus to the village to eliminate them. Witnesses say the aid workers were attacked by young people with rocks and machetes. Authorities got word of violence and tried to mount a rescue, but the villagers destroyed the bridges leading into the area. Eight people were killed, including the program director, doctors, and three journalists covering the outreach effort. Two members of the aid team are still missing, but some did manage to escape, and their accounts have led to several arrests, even accusing them of trying to bring the virus to the village to eliminate them. So there's another angle, and that's not the first time this has happened. There's been a lot of distrust from the indigenous African population in many of the places that are treating this Ebola. This has happened with other things in the past as well. You know, (laughs) knowing who is behind this. You have the UN, you have George Soros, you have Bill and Melinda Gates. Knowing their agenda, knowing that the first plank of the Georgia Guidestones the Ten Commandments of the New World Order is to reduce world population to 500 million, knowing that Africa is ground zero for beta testing for this type of stuff because they can get away with so much more over there with the limited press coverage and the, you know, the fact that they're, they're in a third world country where they're more prone to do what they're, they're told in order to get whatever they need to get to supposedly, you know, get out of trouble. Well, I don't know. I, I, I sure wouldn't put anything past Satan. Last report, U.S. Army says Ebola uh, equals flu in airborne stability needs winter weather to go airborne. According to Center for Aerobiological Sciences, U.S. Army Medical Research Institute of Infectious Diseases at Fort Detrick, Maryland, number one, Ebola has an aerosol stability that is comparable to influenza A, uh, which means it can be transmitted airborne. Two, much like flu, airborne Ebola transmissions need winter-type conditions to maximize aerosol infection. So we're going to play a little over nine minutes of this particular uh, video here. Welcome to the Potter Blog site, September 16, 2014. The United States Army's Center for Aerobiological Sciences in Fort Detrick, Maryland, says Ebola equals influenza A in terms of airborne stability. And they indicate that the only thing that Ebola needs to go airborne, like flu, is winter weather. Now we have a link to this uh, source here. And here you can see where it's from, Center for Aerobiological Sciences. And we have a link to this on our webpage, so you can read it all for yourself. And the key thing is, again, it says, Thylaviruses have stability in aerosol form comparable to other lipid-containing viruses, such as influenza A. Uh, they have a very low infectious dose by the aerosol route. So, let's go back to our summary here, see what it says. We made this, got this little infographic. This is actually sort of a parody of a CDC infographic, which shows how they're going to have to change it for the U.S. for wintertime. Now, if you think about what it said, 
Ebola has an aerosol stability that's comparable to influenza A. So once Ebola gets into the air, it hangs around in the air just as long as influenza A does. It doesn't die any quicker or slower than influenza A. So once it's airborne, you know, it's basically its life expectancy in the air is functionally equivalent to influenza A. Now, Ebola can infect, infect nearly every cell in the human body. Influenza A can't. Influenza A is limited to the number of cells it can infect. And, and we go into more detail on that. You can look that up for yourself. So what's the difference? And why isn't this happening, or why isn't it noted as being happening in Africa? Well, just like influenza doesn't spread easily in warm equatorial regions of the world, airborne Ebola has the same issue. And here we'll sum it up in our, in our analysis. It says, it's clear that when Ebola, let me zoom in on this a little bit. It's clear that when Ebola's in the air, it's at least as hardy as influenza. It's also clear that coughing and sneezing is what makes influenza airborne, and the same should be expected of Ebola. If you cough, influenza is aerosolized by coughing and sneezing. You cough and sneeze while you have Ebola. You're going to aerosolize it the same way. In Africa, coughing is a symptom of Ebola, as is bleeding out of the nose. Now, moreover, moreover, just as sun, heat, and humidity along the Earth's equatorial regions ser- serve to burn influenza out of the air, the same should be expected of Ebola. The difference is with Ebola is that even the tiniest amount of physical contact with infected body fluids can cause infection. So hence, unlike flu, Ebola also readily spreads in equatorial regions. And when Ebola spreads to the regions of the earth which experience fall and winter flu seasons, airborne Ebola infectious routes are are to be expected in conjunction with the direct contact infection routes seen in Africa. Now the key thing here to realize, as we've stated, is that Ebola has the capability to infect pretty much every cell in the entire human respiratory tract. Similarly, our skin offers little resistance to even the smallest amounts of Ebola. How much airborne transmission will occur will be a function of how well Ebola induces coughing and sneezing in its victims in cold weather climates. As we've said, coughing and nasal bleeding have been reported in Africa, so the worst should be expected. In that regard, co-infections with flu, cold, or even seasonal allergies will readily transform Ebola victims into biowarfare factories. And unlike flu, a person need not inhale airborne Ebola to be infected via the airborne via an airborne transmission route. Merely walking through an airspace or touching the objects therein in a place where an Ebola victim has coughed or sneezed is potentially enough for a cold weather infection to occur. Unlike flu, which basically you have to inhale and get into your lungs or get into your eyes, Ebola can infect you pretty much on anywhere on your body or anywhere in your body. As such, all indicators are that Ebola's potential rate of infectious spread in cold weather climates is explosively 
greater than what's occurring in equatorial Africa. And this is where it gets very interesting. It says, in that regard, the government's phytovirus animal non-clinical group, FANG is what they call themselves, they are standardizing on an airborne Ebola infectious challenge of 10,000 platforming units. And basically, any medical countermeasure for Ebola submitted to the government is going to have to be able to prove that it can defeat an airborne Ebola infectious challenge of 10,000 platforming units. Uh, the study here that we clicked on earlier, the study, it basically says that uh, even 10 platforming units is enough to consistently infect somebody with Ebola when, from an aerosol challenge. And that's even much smaller than that. Uh, you can look up what a platforming unit is, but uh, it only takes 1 to 10 viral particles to infect a person on the skin. Now, if you inhale 1 to 10 particles and they come in contact with something along your respiratory tract, then you will be infected. Now, with a number that small, though, there's also a chance that you will inhale it and then exhale it with it not touching anything. Hence, the larger number of 10 platforming units, which, and we're not going to get to the transition between viral particles and platforming units because you can look it up. But, uh, that begs the question then of mutation. And why are experts out there right now pushing a fear on the public of some future airborne mutation of Ebola that's going to make it go it's going to make it go airborne when it's clear from the US Army's own documents from the experts the people in biowarfare who are handling and testing this stuff when they say the risk is here and now so why are experts pushing this future mutation fear on the public well what we see is the primary benefits of this media mutation gambit are is that when the public becomes aware Ebola is airborne the public will default to blaming a mutation rather than the experts withholding information or having prior knowledge of Ebola's transmissibility. And the second thing, it's also an important thing, is that uh, you know a future fear is great for fundraising for the public seeking to avoid it. You know, We've got to stop this before it mutates. Well, it's already there. And experts are aware that most mutations lead to dead ends. Mutations for viruses are typically a very bad thing because they makes it makes it less infectious. So, you know, they're really you're getting a load of BS when they're talking about this mutation risk. And here's the third thing. <clears throat> the expert click comes down hard on experts that do anything which is perceived to immediately raise public fear. An accurate warning to the public can immediately negatively affect a forthright expert's budget and prestige. You know, if you're an expert, a virologist out there, or somebody else, you're not going to lose any credibility with your, with your peers by uh, risking the public's health by telling them that there's nothing to fear or there's little to fear. But if you accurately tell them that there's a lot to fear, and to fear now, you will get a backlash like you will not believe. That's why many of these people don't speak up. Now the fourth reason is, public knowledge of imminent public health threats 
negatively affects supply chains and the logistics for planned responses. If right now everybody went out and bought P100 masks and N95 masks, there wouldn't be any left in the world. If most people, and even if most countries, knew of the risk, they wouldn't be sending stuff to Africa. They'd be holding it back to protect themselves when it comes into their own country. So the next time some expert pushes the Ebola mutation... Okay, so that's basically... We got about every perspective... Well, not every, but we, we got a ton of different perspectives on what we're looking at here. The remainder of this PDF is... A lot of the stuff I've covered in the past, my recommendations regarding mild silver protein, uh, the, the information on how Ebola totally depletes your selenium and your vitamin C um, levels, my recommendations there, uh, then, and then all the, the, the information that kind of backs that up. Uh, I'm just kind of looking. My presentations on avian bird flu, which is very, very similar. Also, my presentations on preparedness, survival, my pandemic teachings. Uh, I've added a lot into this. Uh, I have a separate link here on bleach. It's one of the main ways they're using to decontaminate people. once they, If they've been exposed, like let's say they're in biohazard gear, and they come back and they, they get a pressure washer. Not a pressure washer, but uh, I'm sorry, uh, like the, th- the a bug sprayer, you know, like you have, you can go and you might want to go buy one of those. Um, and the kind you pump up, buy, don't use one you've had pesticide in. Uh, buy, buy a new one and um, you can use that with, uh, with bleach if, if, um, if uh, you have that available. Uh, and when the time comes, if the time comes, I'm just saying that's one thing you, you could do as far as a de- decontamination measure. Um, I would probably say you wouldn't want to use straight. Obviously, you would want to dilute the bleach, you know. Uh, and I think they may get into that into this link um, that I'm giving you here. Then other stuff that you can do, talk a little bit about uh, zinc and the D3. And um, also things that set you up for risk. And then other things, 70 bowl of facts you need to know. These are things I've covered in previous teachings. But what I did is I went back on my recent PDFs I've put out. And I tried to take everything that was pertinent to prevention and put it in one document. Which is what I'm, I've, I've just tacked on to the end of this PDF. This is the most current things I have. Also have the, the link I told you about on how to make an essential oil protective spray and the shield blend. And I give you the links on how you can even order it. I like the website. They, they put out high quality essential oils and they have everything you need in one spot. It's one of the cool things about it. They have the bottles you can buy. They've got the witch hazel. They've got the shield blend. Everything you can buy. They've got all kind of little cool bottles you can buy up there too. Um, that are very, very hard to, can be very, very hard to find. And then um, the nebulizer, I give you um, a little bit of information about that. To invest in a personal nebulizer, um, you can put 100 ppm mild silver protein into it and inhale that into lung fields. Let's say you've been exposed from an airborne standpoint, and that would be a way you could literally um, address that. 
the Royal Air Purifier that I told you about before. Um, gas mask recommendations. The thing about it is, I saw a link, I think yesterday, and the survival preparedness websites are being just exploding. They're being overwhelmed. So, if you're going to get these types of items, like let's say you want to get a full, um, you know, like hazmat suit and these types of things, you are going to increasingly have a harder and harder time getting these anytime soon. I'm not saying it can't be done, uh, but you might have to get very creative in finding outlets that sell these. This approved gasmasks.com, I recommended them before. They've got a great selection, but I don't know how overwhelmed they are right now. You may be able to find things on eBay, particularly eBay, because you've got different sellers up there that might be able to get them to you quicker, that may not have been overwhelmed, that they may not have been found yet, as much as maybe a dedicated place that sells this kind of stuff. So uh, then I have the information about uh, cinnamon bark and um, uh, viruses, Ebola in particular. I'll give you that information, and um, this is um, other things. I'm just looking at what what it's actually saying. Other things you can do, just practical things that you can do to uh, to um, you can also do. That's at the very end of it. So it's a t- it's a total of about 17, 18 pages here, and um, this is one of those PDFs you can reference for the future as well, because I kind of put everything in one spot for you. So that's all I have for today, and I went way over on this part two, but I'll go ahead and close this out in a word of prayer. Thank you, Father God, for this day that you've given us, Lord, for this time that you've let us come together again. In the name of the Lord Jesus Christ, we praise you for all your goodness and your mercy, Lord, and just all, Lord God, letting us, letting us live, Lord, in this time And I do believe you've called every one of us here for this moment, for this season, for a reason, Lord. And I do pray, God, that you make that apparent to my individual listeners, to the body of Christ, Lord, and that you use us mightily in the days and times to come for your glory that we would lead many people to the Lord Jesus Christ. The Bible says the goodness and the severity of the Lord leadeth thee to repentance. And Lord, I believe your severity is coming. And that severity, I believe, will lead many to repentance because the things like this that we are looking at, Lord, makes us contemplate how fragile life is and how little time we may have on this earth and that we're not guaranteed another day. And that severity, Lord God, that I believe is coming Hopefully, I pray, will drive many to repentance and to salvation. I do pray, God, you'd use it for those things and that you would protect your remnant, Lord, and protect the innocent. I do pray, God, if it be your will, you would stop this spread of this Ebola, not just in America, Lord God, but worldwide. But nevertheless, not my will, but thine be done, Lord. I don't know exactly what your will is, and I also know you have to judge sin and... and, I can't even imagine how much wrath this world has stored up. I pray you forgive us for any and all sins we have committed, Lord. 
as we forgive those who have sinned against us. And that the words of our mouth and the meditations of our heart would be acceptable in thy sight, O Lord, our strength and our Redeemer. That you cleanse us from presumptuous sins and secret faults, that they would not have dominion over us. I pray you bless all my listeners, Lord. I pray your angels encamp around about them and go before them to prepare the way. The body of Christ is well, Lord, and the innocent. We ask all these things in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ, we pray. Amen.